sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. We're in our Lenten series today, Close Encounters of a Holy Kind. Today we're talking, as I mentioned to the kids, about one of the most infamous holy encounters in the Bible, the one you see all the time, John 3.16, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Let's read, we're going to read the context of it though, we're going to read John 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very, tell, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter the, a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished what I have said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who, those who hate evil hate the light and do not come to uh, sorry. For all who come who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. So much of this passage is familiar to us as Christians, and rightfully so. It's great. So much good stuff. But sometimes we talk about, you know, the phrase being born again so much that it kind of loses its meaning, right? We talk about being a born again, I don't know, we use it all kinds of ways. Born again in your sobriety, born again um, evangelical Christian. I mean, it's just like a, a label rather than a meaning, 
sometimes. And yeah, we see John 3.16 all the time. We see it at sporting events. And, and there's a reason for that. We want people to look up John 3.16. We want to spread the message of that verse. It's so great. But I believe that there is an even deeper meaning in this passage that if we just hit the highlights, if we just play the hits, then we kind of miss some of the larger picture of what's going on here. For example, if we look at verses 14 through 21, like the parts right before it and the parts right after it, right? About Moses lifting up the snake in the wilderness, are you all familiar with that story? I mean, it's way back in Exodus. Maybe we talked about it in Sunday school ages ago. And, and when Jesus makes this reference, he's assuming that Nicodemus knows about that story. Well, of course Nicodemus knows about that story. He's one of the leaders of the Jews. But us in 21st century America, we might need a refresher. Because the story about Moses, see, I even said it comes from Exodus earlier. It comes from Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And in the story, Moses is leading around the people in the desert during their time of wandering. They wandered for 40 years in the desert. And the Israelites at this point had gotten tired of walking around. And as their want, I guess the ancient Israelites have a lot in common with my children because when they walk around a bunch, they get really whiny. Dad, carry me. That's kind of what they were saying to God. We're tired. We're going to die in this wilderness. This miracle food for that you provide us every day doesn't taste good enough. Ugh. Ugh. I mean, I can just hear it. and I can hear it from the perspective of God, too. He's given the manna from heaven, and that's not good enough for them. And God just kind of got tired of all the whining. Guys, I can relate as a father of three children. At one point, I had three children under the age of seven in my house. And it was just a nonstop wine factory. And you love your kids, but you get so sick and tired of the incessant whine. It's like one of these three kids has always picked this time to be sounding like this. <laughs> it's just in the background of your life all the time. Even now that they're a little older, it's still kind of the same. And God got sick of all the whining. And so God did something that I probably wouldn't do as a parent, but he sent venomous snakes to deal with this whining. And so all these snakes started coming out, and people were getting bit. And so the people realized that they were kind of being a bunch of ungrateful whiners, and they repented. And it, take, it took this, these snakes to shake them out of their slumber and for them to finally repent. And so they came to Moses, and they said, Moses, we've sinned against God. We've sinned against you. So please, Moses, won't you pray that God gets rid of these doggone snakes because we're tired of getting bit. And so Moses took this to God and said, okay, God, the people have repented. And God said, all right, make a snake out of bronze and put it up on a pole. And anybody that's get, got, got bit can look up at this snake. And if they just look at the snake, then they'll live. So that's what Moses did. He made the bronze snake. He put it on the pole. People looked at the snake on the pole, and they lived. And that 
is what this passage is saying that Jesus is like. Jesus is the bronze snake that gets hoisted up on a pole so that you can live. This story is actually where we get the, the symbol of the medical profession. I put it on your take-home sheet today. If you'll look at that, um, I can't even find my take-home sheet. It's among all this stuff. Here it is. You know, the medical field has these, these symbols, and it's a snake wrapped on a pole. If you ever wondered why a snake would be associated with the medical profession, this story in the Old Testament is why. It is a symbol of healing, uh, of the snake on a pole. Because when the people looked at the snake, they got healed. And that is the baggage from this Old Testament story that we're going in with when we get to the famous words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but receive everlasting life. It's saying that God not only sent his son to be a human, not only subjected him to a humiliating death on the cross, but then God lifted up that death and that resurrection as something for every person in the world to look at, to believe in, and be saved and healed from our sin. Could you imagine being an Israelite during that camp while the snake bites were going on, during the snake infestation? Imagine that you have been bitten by a snake and that venom is coursing through your body. Your leg is swollen up, it's huge and it's starting to go numb and you can feel that poison moving its way up your body, up to your thighs. It's getting in your bloodstream and it's going to kill you. And imagine if you were there in that situation and Moses showed up. He's got this bronze snake. He's holding it up and he says, if you just look at this snake, your poison will go away and you live. Is there any scenario under which you would say, no, nah, I'm not going to look at that snake. Is there any scenario in which you would just cover your eyes and say, no, thanks. I don't want to. It requires almost nothing of you. All you've got to do is look at a snake and you'll be okay. Could you imagine saying, nah, Moses, I got this under control. I heard if you just suck the poison out, you'll be fine. I'm, instead of looking at your snake, I'm just going to try to go to town sucking this poison out of my leg. Or could you imagine saying, you know what? Dying from a snake isn't so bad. This poison feels pretty good, a matter of fact. You would never say that. That is absurd. That's beyond absurd. It's absolutely stupid. If you're bitten by a snake and you pass up the miracle cure from God because of pride or really any other reason, you're downright stupid. And yet, you and I do this all the time, right? Because this is what God is telling us. He's telling us sin is poison and it's killing you. But how often, rather than looking to Jesus and repenting of our sin, do we try to rationalize ourselves away or justify ourselves or make ourselves feel better? 
How often do we look at the world around us to dictate our values instead of the God that created everything? How often, instead of repenting for our sins, do we look around and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. I guess I'll be okay and compare ourselves to other people. And when we do that, we are choosing to slowly die from the poison of sin rather than get the cure of a savior who has the power over sin and death and victory to to he dying to bestow this victory on us and instead we're saying no thanks i can handle it on my own no thanks i'd rather people not know about this when we persist in our sinful attitudes behaviors and habits despite knowing that christ is there exalted waiting to save us, we're even stupider than the person who would rather die from a snake bite than look at the bronze snake. So why do we even do this? It seems so simple when we put it in these, in these terms, why we would not just look to Christ to deal with the poison of sin in our lives. But so often we persist in doing it anyway. I think there are a few reasons why. The first of all, the first reason is that, like, we just like the sin, right? Sometimes sin is fun. Sometimes sin feels good. The, the, the temporary pleasures of sin, just, we don't want to give it up. It's like that venom goes to our heads and we start to get high off the snake venom itself. And we say, oh, well, you know, it feels pretty good. I'll deal, with, I'll deal with the fact that it's poisoning me to death later. Sometimes we just plain old like to sin. And we don't want to stop. The second reason, I think, that we fail to go to Christ is because of our pride. We don't think we need to be rescued. We can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try harder not to sin in the future. If we can just... You know, suck that poison out ourselves. We don't need help from anyone on the outside. I can just try harder next time. I won't, I won't make that same mistake again. I don't need to, to pray and repent about it. I'll just do better next time. We get pride. And so actually we don't need any help from the sin in our lives. I think the third problem we have is shame. And this one's a real kicker. If I look to Jesus to help me deal with my sin problem, then I've got to admit to myself, to Jesus, and maybe even to the people around me, that I've got a sin problem. And I'm afraid of being exposed. We're afraid that if other people saw us for who we really are, then they know that we're just a bunch of frauds. So we keep on pretending like we're all right, hiding our horrible snake bites of sin, in darkness so other people won't see, hoping that they won't think worse of us. And our shame is holding us back from the healing that God has in store for us. But Jesus had some words to say about shame. He says it in verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light 
so that it may be seen plainly what they have done in the sight of God. See, Jesus didn't come here to condemn us. He came here to save us. But we condemn ourselves by loving darkness more than light. We condemn ourselves by, by saying, I would rather hide my sin so that nobody knows about it than acknowledge that I have a sin problem and look to Jesus instead. Why would anybody love darkness more than they love light? Because darkness hides stuff. Darkness hides our imperfections, but it's also death to our souls. When we hide our sins from God and from others, by obscuring them in darkness, we are choosing our own condemnation. So often, when we think about dark and light in a spiritual context, we think of dark as bad actions and light as good actions. But I think here, Jesus isn't talking about the kinds of actions we take. It's about the environment we choose to be in. Do we choose to be in an environment where we hide all our imperfections, when we hide all of our sins and try to put our best face out for, outward like a hypocrite? Or are we living a genuine life in the light where we acknowledge our imperfections, acknowledge our sins, acknowledge our flaws, and look to Jesus for help? When you're in a dark room and you turn on a light switch, it doesn't take away the things you're trying to hide. It exposes them. And we don't like to be exposed, so we like to stay in the dark. We'd rather wither away and fumble around in darkness than have our sins exposed because of our shame and because of our pride. And it's killing us like a snake bite. So we have a choice to make. We can either choose to be vulnerable, to have our flaws and our sins exposed to ourselves and to Jesus for what they are, in the light of Jesus' love, or we can keep wallowing in darkness and never receive the victory that Christ has. In order to receive the healing that we need, we have got to make ourselves vulnerable to the exposure of the light. There is no other way. In order to look upon Christ, who has been exalted in death and resurrection, just like the snake in the desert, we must acknowledge our sin for what it really is, a deadly poison. And we must be willing to acknowledge our need for a Savior. And that is what Nicodemus didn't understand. This is why it was a, an encounter with Jesus that changed Nicodemus' life, because he understood what being born again means. We were born the first people, the first time, as a people who love the dark, as a people who love to hide, as a people who want to put up a front of pride and of shame rather than expose our true inner selves to God. But when we accept Christ, we get reborn as people who love the light. We let the light of Christ shine into the dark places of ourselves, expose the parts of ourselves that we'd rather hide, and become a new creature in Christ. We love the light instead of hating it. Like they say, sunlight is the best disinfectant. And we get reborn as a people who love the righteousness of Christ more than we love the self-righteousness of appearing good in front of other people. So maybe you're in one of three places today. 
Maybe you've never looked to Jesus to take away the poison of sin of your life. Or maybe you have, but you're still holding on to some dark corners of your heart that you've never let Jesus be exposed to. Maybe you've said, Jesus, you can shine the light over here, but don't go into that room. That's where I'm hiding the good stuff. Now is the time to shine the light where the good stuff is. Because we cannot fix our problems on our own. If we were powerless to fix our sin problems by ourselves, we would have done it already. But sin's got a grip on you that only Jesus has the power to set free. So he's calling us to look on him, to make ourselves vulnerable, and to receive the power and the freedom that will set you free from sin. There's no better time. Or maybe today you've received that healing and that freedom from Jesus. Maybe you're living in the light like you should be. And so my question to you is this. What are you doing to lift him up to other people? Because there are people that are dying all around you because they love darkness more than light. What are you doing to lift Christ up high? Because I'll tell you, if, if Moses had made that snake and just kept it into a tent for himself just in case of a snake bite, he would have had those deaths from snake bites on his conscience because he wasn't going around lifting them up high. How are you exalting Christ in your day-to-day -day life to shine him out for other people? Because it's just cruel to keep the cure away from people that are dying. So today, to wrap up our service, we're going to take communion. Today, there's a great chance to do business with God at the altar. If there is a corner of your heart that you haven't let the light shine into, today I want to invite you to come, confess it before Christ at the altar, and invite him to shine a light on your life. Let's pray. Christ, we confess that we have loved darkness more than light. We love to look good and hide the bad stuff more than to actually be good and shine the light on the bad stuff. God, I pray that you will change us into people who love the light, who love authentic Christianity, who love to pour ourselves out for you and for others. Father, I pray that you'll bless us. Bless us when we obey. In your name I pray. Amen.